Good morning. Our first reading is from Psalm 127 on page 441. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. For he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. Our next reading is from Ephesians 6, 1 to 4, on page 829. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. One night, Kathy was out and I was looking after the kids. And I was doing a great job. The teeth were brushed. We'd read the Bible and some other books. I prayed for them. <clears throat> and I was, I'd tidied up the house and I was just relaxing downstairs when Kathy arrived home. And I was obviously feeling quite proud about my solo parenting skills. And Kathy asks, how have the kids been? And I say, perfect. But she thinks she can hear something upstairs. And so she heads up to check it out. Suddenly there comes a blood curdling, Stephen, quick! So I race up the stairs to discover that one of the kids had thrown up some time ago and was throwing up again. And it was flowing, unfortunately, like rivers down from the top bunk to the child on the bottom bunk. Now, I don't particularly handle these situations so well. I tend to ask the bigger but slightly less urgent questions like, why me, God, in situations like this, rather than the more practical kind of questions like, where's the mop? And for some reason, Kathy doesn't really like my philosophical ponderings at these times. So I kick into action. I, I grab the child off the bottom bunk and get him out of the way of the rivers. And then suddenly he starts throwing up all over the place too. And that's when I really start freaking out. And any last shred of, of domestic pride that I had is gone. We get them cleaned up and back into bed. Another one throws up again and then we manage to sort it out. Eventually everything's calm and quiet and we settle down for two days, oh, sorry, for days ahead with two kids sick. Except as it turned out, the next morning in wanders a third child also covered in vomit. We now refer to that night in our family as the night of the zombie apocalypse. <laughs> and it's funny looking back, it was pretty short-term, uh, pretty short-term problem in the end, but it does kind of illustrate what it can be like to relate to kids. See, one minute everything can be smooth and if you're like me, you're patting yourself on the back. And then the next minute, it can be pretty difficult and just about push you to your limits. There's this great cartoon that really captures something of what it's like to be a parent. One character says 
to another one, the way you describe it, having kids sounds horrible. Yeah, welcome to parenting. Well, you've convinced me I'm never having children. That's a shame. They're awesome. You just finished saying how terrible it was. Well, sure, it's mostly drudgery and frustration, but it's still like the best thing ever. That makes no sense. Yeah, welcome to parenting. (laughs) And of course, it's not just relating to kids as a parent that can be difficult. It can be difficult for relatives, it can be difficult for people who work with kids, and sometimes people who don't have kids but really want to have kids can also find it very difficult. Most people who spend more than a few minutes around children find that it can be great one second and terrible the next. Today we're going to have a brief look at how God intended our relationships with kids to be. Then we're going to look at how it's become because we've turned our back on God. And then finally we're going to look at the difference that Jesus makes. But first we turn our minds to how God intended our relationships with kids to be. And the basic but critical thing to see is that God made all humans to be in his image. Have a look, first of all, in Genesis 1.27. We read, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female he created them. From God's point of view, All humans are of equal worth, whether male or female, whether fully abled or disabled, whether adult or child, all humans are equal. Now, hopefully this is obvious to us, but if you take God out of the picture, why should it be obvious? What solid foundation are you left with that says all people are equal in value? Aristotle was a philosopher who thought humans have different values. Slaves were down the bottom, women were less than men in his mind, and children hadn't reached their full value as human beings. Even today, the Australian philosopher Peter Singer argues for selective infanticide. He says it's unfair that parents can't kill their children after they're born if they have certain disabilities. See, it should be obvious to us that children are equal in worth to adults, but we should never actually take this for granted. It rests on the solid truth that God makes all people in His image. And if you remove God, I'm afraid you remove this solid foundation. Now, what this means for how we relate to children is that we're always to relate to them as people who have equal worth to us and to all adults. It means that we should honour and respect children. This won't just mean that we're against infanticide, of course. It means that we'll be against anything that dishonours children and will be for anything that recognises their worth. One simple way or test that we can use on ourselves to see one way that we ignore the value of kids is just by asking ourselves, do we know the names of our friends' kids? Or do we know the names of kids here for that matter? Do we know what they're like, what they enjoy, those sorts of things? If we draw a complete blank, maybe we're not honouring and respecting them like we should be. 
Now, honouring and respecting kids doesn't mean that we relate to them in the same way that we relate to adults. The way that we honour people varies according to the nature of the relationship. And critical to honouring children is recognising that they are equal in worth, but not equal in ability. This is obvious. Just think about the way that God's made children. Initially, a child is is completely dependent on their parents. They receive their very existence from them. For nine months, they, they can't even exist outside their mother. They can't feed themselves. And then for one year, they can't even walk. For two years, they can't even talk. And they can't even face the world on their own for, what, 30 years? Children, just by their very nature, the way God's made them, are incredibly vulnerable. And all throughout the Bible, God cares about how we treat the vulnerable. In Psalm 68 verse 5, it goes as far as to say that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Children are valuable, but they're vulnerable. And here's the really important thing for us to get. As adults, it's our God-given role to take the time to figure out how we need to cross the bridge to meet kids at their current level of ability. That's our God-given role, to cross the bridge, to figure out how we need to meet kids at in their current level of ability, whether that's their ability mentally or socially, or whether it's physically or financially, whether it's emotionally or spiritually, it's our job as adults to respectfully honour them by meeting them where they're at. Now that would have been an awesome adventure and a, a joy and privilege. But instead, it's become at least part of the, of the time a frustrating, painful obligation that's impossible to get 100% right. And this brings us to our second point. Our rejection of God has affected how we relate to kids. Most of us know the story in in Genesis 3 where the serpent convinces Adam and Eve that God's lying to them about the fruit that um, that they shouldn't eat. Look at what he says in verse 4. He says, You'll not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, from this tree... Your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What's going on is that Adam and Eve decide that they're not happy to be vulnerable before God. They feel that they can't afford to risk being exploited by Him. So they decide they're going to look out for their own interests, independent of Him. They're going to embrace life by rejecting God's oppressive control. But what happens is that this rejection of God is not life-giving like they've convinced themselves it would be. It's actually life-taking. Because it's like an unborn baby trying to free itself from its mother. And it's just not possible to do that and live. And our own rejection, us, us here, our own rejection of God, it's just the same. Whether we feel like we're actively rejecting God or just passively ignoring him, either way, we're saying, God, I don't trust you to have control of my life. But what we might not realise is by doing that, 
we're actually trying to cut ourselves off from the very source of life. This relationship breakdown, our rejection of Him, is what the Bible calls sin. What this means for navigating our relationships with kids is that it's now very difficult. When you've got sinful adults looking after sinful kids, it's pretty obvious that it's going to be hard. Now the the task of honouring people who are equal in worth but unequal in ability, it's not an adventure anymore. At times it can feel more like a confusing nightmare. Sometimes, with teenagers, it can feel like a war zone, or maybe more accurately, a cold war. Adults selflessly building bridges is now an incredibly flawed process. Vulnerable people, they need selfless care and none of us are qualified to give it. We can be selfless, it's, it's true, we can be selfless, but not 100% of the time and not to the extent that's required. I mean, think about it, sometimes we're ignorant of what's needed. Sometimes we know what's needed, but we're just not, we just don't have the capacity to do it. And sometimes we know what's needed and we just don't care enough to do it. We should expect relating to kids to be difficult. But my suspicion is that many of us have unrealistic expectations when it comes to relating to kids, at least deep down. I remember before Kathy and I had kids, I, I knew exactly how my kids were going to be and I knew exactly what kind of parent I was going to be as well. I used to hate going in this guy's car who had four kids. For some reason, his kids always ate milk arrowroot biscuits in the car and they kind of turned them into a paste and then smeared them into every available surface of the car. And it developed this disgusting particular smell. And I remember when he had to sell his car, he had to get it professionally cleaned just so that this thing wouldn't be written off and could actually be sold. And I, I decided then and there, actually, I went, in, I went for a trip in the car even after it had been professionally cleaned and it still had this disgusting, lingering smell and I made this unbreakable resolution that when I had kids, they would never, never eat in the car. Who was that <laughs> laughing? <laughs> a couple of years ago, I followed a trail of ants through my car to one of my kids' seats. And as I was kind of tipping it upside down outside the car and watching sultanas fall out and bits of broken biscuit and things that are way more horrifying and nasty than milk arrowroot biscuits, I couldn't, feel, I couldn't help but think of that rock-solid resolution that I'd made to never let my kids eat in the car. And I also couldn't help but think that pretty much every resolution that I had like that before having kids has been thrown out the window. I'm going to be the type of parent who always has time for my kids, who respects them and just loves to talk endlessly about Pokemon and Minecraft. I'm going to reason with them and not snap at them and they'll be reasonable back. My kids are going to look people in the eye when they talk to them and have good manners and maintain conversation over dinner. They're going to be compassionate and empathetic. The boys are always going to be gentle with their sisters and able to give their mum a kiss at school and not worry about what anybody thinks. In public, my kids are going to know that they can't get away with misbehaving, so they're not even going to try. My kids will love the truth 
and will trust me enough to always be honest. Now, I don't know what was wrong with me. How can someone be so deluded? The only thing that makes me feel slightly better is watching new parents ask themselves that very same question as they start to realise that their darling is making it very hard to be the kind of parents that they were destined to be. Gives me this twisted sense of validation. And of course, it's not just hard for parents. It's hard for anyone who sets out to relate to kids, whether relatives or friends. We really shouldn't have unrealistic expectations. I mean, some grandparents are amazing, but you see others who just can't handle it, who think, I've done my time, now it's your turn, and they withdraw. And you see it with friends too. Some people think, kids just aren't my thing and they don't even bother. You even see it in churches. A lot of people see being on the creche roster as too lowly a job for them. Or the kids' program as a burden that they've just moved beyond now. But this is not how God sees kids. It's because of our bro- broken relationship with Him that we've tw- we have such a twisted view of kids. When I was doing a uh, ministry apprenticeship, I was required to teach Sunday school every week, even though I was doing my ministry apprenticeship with uni students. And the reason that my trainer required me to do that is because he felt that one critical lesson that I had to learn was that kids matter to God just as much as adults. And our God is a God who reaches down to those less able. My trainer rightly saw that if I couldn't value children, And if I couldn't value ministry to children, then I'd never have a right view of ministry. So we find ourselves in a world where children are an incredible gift from God, a joy, but at the exact same time, we're flawed and they're flawed and our rejection of God has broken our ability to care for them the way that God intended. But in God's extreme kindness, things aren't always as bad as they could be. Most of us still relate to kids in a selfless way a lot of the time. We know, of course, that in our world things can and and do go terribly wrong with how people relate to kids. We see the worst of this daily in the news, horrible stories of how children are mistreated. And tragically, churches are not immune from this. And sometimes they've even been at the centre of all sorts of abuses of children. And that should never be. It's why we take child protection very seriously here at this church. No one can start working with kids until they've been police checked here. And everyone who works with kids is required to do a child safe environment training course. And it's why we have the policy that there must always always be two adults present with kids in our programs, no exceptions tolerated. We can't afford to be naive and I wanted to take this opportunity just to say, if you ever see anything that concerns you here, please do something about it, say something, report it, whether it's to me or the leadership team or the police or whoever is the right person, whatever you do, don't do nothing. Things can be awful in how we relate to kids, but in God's extreme kindness, even though we're all sinful people, still God spares us from so many, many evils. 
It's a strange thing that almost everyone admits that relating to children can be hard. But it's ironic, isn't it, that children are possibly the biggest idol in our culture that there is. Think about it. Where do you find your identity? What do you love more than anything else? What do you serve above all else? What could you never let go of and go on living? For some of us, the answer to all those questions is actually our kids. But if the answer is anything other than God, it's an idol. But no idol can bear the weight that we put on it. If we look for meaning, for fulfilment, for security in our kids, the idol will break apart. Kids can't bear that weight. And in the end, we'll actually end up doing them harm. And of course, in the end, all idols do their worshippers harm. See, what happens if you can't have kids and it's all you've ever wanted? What happens if your kids have disabilities? What happens if your kids get sick and die? What happens when no matter how you try, how much you try, you can't be the kind of parent that you feel you've got to be? What happens is that your idol fails you and it will end up tearing you apart. Have you heard of the concept of parent guilt? Often we parents feel it because in our culture, kids are God and false gods always cause us to feel guilty. False gods can never take away our sense of guilt. They can only ever condemn us in the end. And this brings us to our final point. Jesus brings us back to the true God. Jesus takes our guilt And he actually restores our relationship with children. In Luke 18, the disciples are telling children who want to see Jesus to to go away. But look at how Jesus relates to them in verse 16. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. Okay, that's kind of nice and it's what everyone expects from Jesus. But look at what he says next. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. That's a bit confusing. And once you understand what he's saying, it's actually a bit confronting. Jesus is saying to us adults that no matter how much we might be denying it, we really are vulnerable before God. And he says says to us, if we want to enter God's kingdom, we've got to stop denying that and admit that we're vulnerable before God. You see, adults and kids have equal worth in God's eyes. Kids have less ability in this world. But in the kingdom of God, kids have greater ability than adults. Why? Because they recognize their vulnerability. They recognize their need for God. They've got no problem in accepting that they need to trust in Him. Adults, on the other hand, have great trouble with realizing our vulnerability before God. And so Jesus says, we must become like children. In a sense, we've got to model ourselves on them. To be a part of God's kingdom, we've got to see our desperate need, our vulnerability. 
in the book of Ephesians, Paul spends the first half of the letter outlining what God has done for us in Jesus. Before he even goes on to say a single word of what we should do for God. For half the letter, he explains with joy and with beauty what our Father has done for us. What he's done so that we can be forgiven. What he's done so that we can live forever with him. What he's done so that we can be his children. All through what Jesus has done. And it's not till the second half that he finally turns to us and says that in response to our Father's kindness in making us his children, we should now live as his children. Have a look at one point where he does this in Ephesians 5 verse 1. He says, follow God's example therefore as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. If we've come to God trusting in Him, depending on Him, vulnerable, our status as His children is never in doubt. We don't earn it, we do the opposite, we realise we can't earn it. But He makes us His children and He calls us to live as His children. And Paul goes on in the letter of Ephesians to talk about what this looks like. And one thing that it looks like is that it affects how we relate to children. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 4, again with me. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, surprisingly, this isn't talking about exasperating kids with dad jokes, (laughs) though maybe it is. No, it's not. (laughs) Don't exasperate means... Don't provoke. Don't make your kids angry. Don't crush your kids. And did you see the alternative to exasperating your kids? The alternative is instead bring kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord. For some reason, when we think about bringing kids up in the training of the Lord, we can think that this means to ply them with harsh rules and discipline. In other words, to exasperate them. But it's not. See, we obviously haven't been paying attention to the training of the Lord. The Lord's training is to take willful, disobedient enemies and to love them even to the point of death on a cross to make them children called to be like Him. Fathers, our role is to take willful, disobedient children and to love them to the point of laying down our lives, giving up our own desires, to teach them God's way, to set them the example of walking in the way of love. We need to point kids to their greatest need. God... And this is especially the responsibility of fathers and mothers. But we can all be involved in this. It can be really hard to point kids to God as their greatest need. And we won't do it if we just leave it to chance. It takes us using all our creative energy to build bridges to meet kids where they're at. I want to finish by just quickly sketching out some things that might help us in this. 
There's many, many, many things. I just want to mention a few. For parents, we need to look at our own hearts and attitudes. In our approach to God, are we actually setting the example for kids by being like children ourselves before God? Is it obvious to our kids that we see ourselves as totally dependent on God? Now, we can do this in all sorts of ways, show this, just in the way we talk with our kids, but also we can do it in the way that we pray with our kids about real things that are going on. Someone showed Kathy and I that it's a really good idea to pray with your kids on the way to school drop-off, on the way to church, on the way to soccer, on the way to anywhere, really. And I've actually been amazed at the difference that it's made in our kids uh, as we've done that. It's a chance to show our kids that we see ourselves as completely dependent on God. We've just been doing that in the last couple of years. Another way that we can model dependence on God is by reading God's Word ourselves and doing what we can to creatively encourage our kids to do the same. Now, how you do that obviously changes as they grow. But I was thinking about it. Don't be afraid to spend money, if you can, if you can afford it, on things that will help them in that. Buy different Bibles that you can read to them when they're young. Buy them Bibles that are appropriate for their age as they get a bit older. Buy them other Christian books. And if you can't afford it, send them on Christian camps where they'll get really good instruction and be inspired. The way we relate to non-Christians is another great way to point kids to Jesus as their own greatest need. See, by being a loving friend, a good friend, but also by letting our kids know that we really want to see our non-Christian friends come to know Jesus, it communicates to them that that is the greatest need of any person. And as we ask them to pray for our friends as well and let them know what we're doing, it can have a huge impact. The way we use our time is another great way to model that God's kingdom and God's people are really important to us. And one way to do that is to use church as an opportunity to help our kids. Get them involved with serving with you and explain why you're doing what you're doing. Get them involved in the service, even from a young age. I mean, think about the example that you set, even within the service. As you're singing, if you're engaging with what's happening in the song and that sort of thing, you're encouraging your kids. But Alternatively, if we're not engaging with what's happening, we're communicating something to our kids that maybe we don't want to, that it doesn't really matter. Somewhere along the line, I realised that my kids were at church physically, but they weren't really there mentally. So we started getting them to try to encourage, uh, trying to encourage them to get involved in the service, to engage as best as they could. And we'd talk about it on the way to church. We encouraged them to sing the songs as best they could to listen to what's happening at the front. Now, it's still a constant struggle, as you'll probably notice, but that's our job as parents. We try to the best of our ability to bridge the mental, spiritual, emotional gaps in ability that kids have and point our kids to Jesus. For older kids, it might take all of your creative brilliance, but do everything you can to bridge that gap and get them meeting regularly with Christians. 
If they can't get to church in the morning, then get them to church at night. If that means driving them to Trinity City or something like that, do it. Whatever it takes, help them to see that God calls us to love His people even above our own biological families. And definitely before friends, before sport, before homework and before sleep. If you're not a parent, you can still be involved in instructing kids in the way of the Lord. Doing creche, doing jam. These are simple but great ways to support parents and point kids to Jesus. But also, and you might not realise this, but as kids get older, friendships with adults who aren't their parents become more and more important. Just by taking an interest in kids, a friendship can sometimes form. And as they look up to you, it can really help kids in their Christian walk. Do you know that most people become most people who become Christians actually do it when they're kids? And God frequently uses people who don't have kids to bring kids into his kingdom. A guy, a single guy, when I was growing up called Dave Ware had a massive impact on me in helping me become a Christian. As we relate to kids, it's helpful to think about what's happening at the cross. See, at the cross, Jesus doesn't downplay our disobedience. His love doesn't say, ah, it doesn't matter. His love says, it matters. But you matter more. We matter to him to the point where he faces our punishment at the cross. Have you admitted to God that you're vulnerable, that you're in desperate need of his forgiveness? Because if we have, we're called to follow that example of extreme love and sacrifice in how we relate to all people and especially to kids. We follow Jesus example imperfectly till he returns but this is our calling for parents for everyone and because of Jesus it's once again an adventure how are you going to get involved let's pray Lord we thank you so much for the gift of kids whether our own or the kids of friends or grandkids Lord, help us to see kids the way you do, as incredibly valuable. Lord, you see the way that we struggle, especially parents, to honour and respect our kids, and you see the way that they make it a great struggle as well. We thank you so much for Jesus, that because of him, we can leave behind idols and find true meaning and, and fulfilment in him. Lord, help us to admit our vulnerability to ourselves, to each other, and most of all to you. Lord, we desperately need you. And Lord, we thank you that you have made us your children, not because of anything we've done, but out of your own free will, your own gift to us. Lord, we thank you for the way that this calls us back to this adventure of speaking into the lives of kids crossing bridges in loving and caring for them and loving them in the supreme way of pointing them to Jesus, their greatest need. Help us in this and help us to be a church that 
always honours and respects kids and points them to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.